0: I know a lot of you uh, know Billy Graham, uh, very well-known evangelist. I think I saw on Facebook maybe uh, today like his 97th birthday, uh, either today or sometime uh, right now. So again, he, he is probably one who has spoken more publicly about Jesus Christ, has preached the gospel to probably more people than uh, any other human you know, figure in our time. Uh, he is easily one of the most recognizable and famous people on the earth today. If anybody knows anything about the harvesting of souls, the bringing of people to faith in Jesus Christ, it is Billy Graham. Billy Graham once said this, he said, the evangelistic harvest is always urgent. The destiny of mankind and of nations is always being decided. Every generation is strategic. We are not responsible for the past generation. We cannot bear full responsibility for the next one, but we do have our generation. God will hold us accountable and responsible as to how we fulfill our responsibilities to this age and to take advantage of our opportunities. I believe we are standing on the threshold of really some great opportunities, some great outpourings of the Holy Spirit. I think we are on the threshold of what could maybe be some of the the greatest revival in our times in the history of the church. At this moment, there are more people in this world without Christ than ever before in human history. The opportunity for missions, for evangelism, soul winning, kingdom growing is unprecedented. There are more doors open in more countries to preach the gospel than ever before. I saw an article this past week where they're, they're looking at there are just thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Muslims right now who are, who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Here in America, crime and drugs and abortion and euthanasia, homosexuality, the breakup and the breakdown of the family have all kind of combined and is kind of creating one of the most depressed, discouraged, and disillusioned cultures in in our nation's history. That's why I believe we are on the brink of just some great breakthroughs of some great uh, revival. The question for us is, Not is there an opportunity? The question for us is will we seize the opportunity? Someone has once said there are four things that never return, the word that is spoken, the arrow that is shot, the life that is passed, and the opportunity that is neglected. Well, thankfully Jesus Christ never failed to seize and use every opportunity to be a part of the great harvest of the bringing people to faith in Christ. As a matter of fact, in John's gospel, a story many of you may be familiar with, Jesus meets a woman at a well, and he takes that opportunity to bring that woman into the kingdom of God. And he did it to teach us that there are men and women everywhere. they are at wells everywhere. They are thirsty for a living water and just waiting for someone who would be willing to take that opportunity to give them that living water and to satisfy their thirst for all eternity. Now the only way you'll ever get excited or motivated about the harvest is if two things happen. Number one, you've gotta see the possibility of the harvest and then you've gotta seize that opportunity of the harvest. With those two thoughts in mind, I'm gonna give you This morning, three things that I hope will kind of just encourage. I hope that it will inspire your heart to be a part of the harvest. And it includes food, fields, and fruit. First, the food that should activate us. Now again, if you know anything about that story in John 4, it's a hot summer day. It's shortly after 12 o'clock noon. Jesus and his disciples, they had been traveling north from Jerusalem. They're passing through Samaria and they reached a spot close to Jacob's well. The disciples leave Jesus there alone and they go into the village to buy food. As Jesus is there by the well, the scripture says a woman from Samaria, a Samaritan woman comes to the well. And Jesus has kind of a, Word of of knowledge that this woman is an adulteress. And so Jesus kind of strikes up a conversation, which if you know anything of the culture of that day, Jews did not communicate with Samaritans. As a matter of fact, there was a great level of hatred between the Jews and the Samaritan people. And then the second thing was a Jewish man would never ever speak to a woman. And so Jesus is breaking several cultural taboos in this encounter with this woman. He speaks to her about her sin and then he kind of shares with her this living water that would satisfy her thirst and in a few moments she is just brought into the kingdom of God. When the disciples returned you remember that they kind of see this and they're kind of shocked. I think they're dismayed at what they're seeing because they left Jesus there at the well, I'm sure tired. They come back, he's invigorated. He is excited They left him hungry, but when they come back, they discover his hunger had been satisfied. They left him hot and thirsty, and when they came back, they found him refreshed and thirsty no more. As a matter of fact, Jesus said to them in verse 32, a statement that shocked and perplexed them, more confused them probably. Jesus said, I have food to eat which you do not know. Now, I don't know if they kind of thought Jesus had, you know, scraps of food hidden somewhere in his, uh, you know, clothing. They didn't understand, which was pretty typical of most of what Jesus would say to the disciples. It kind of went over their head. And then Jesus goes on to explain in verse 34 He says, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Now, see, Jesus considered obedience to God's will, more important and more sustaining spiritually, mentally, emotionally, um, and physically than a hot meal. I remember one time when Jesus is in the wilderness. He's fasting for 40 days, no food of any kind. The scripture says he could have turned rocks into you know, fresh loaves of bread, fresh from the hot oven. But he says in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Jesus literally lived his life by every word that proceeded from the mouth of his Father. He was obedient to that. That was kind of the main course of Jesus' meal was to do the will of God. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me from cradle to the grave, Jesus' burning passion and desire was to do the will of the Father. As Jesus began his earthly ministry, he made one thing very clear. He said in John five thirty, he said, I do not seek my own will, my own agenda, but the will of the Father who sent me. And then again in John 6, 38, he says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So he comes to the end of his ministry, remember, there in the garden of Gethsemane, in the shadow of the cross, with the weight of the world's sin upon his shoulder, the mocking, the taunting of Satan in his ear, the demons of hell nipping at his heels. Jesus says in Matthew 26, 39, he says, oh, Father, if it is possible, let This cup, let this moment pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, his desire, utmost desire, was to do the will of his heavenly father regardless of the cost, even if that cost would result in his death. And Jesus called that obedience to God's will, he called that food. One of the marks that the body is healthy is it hungers for food. One of the marks of the soul that is healthy is it hungers, it thirsts to do the will of God. You and I, we should desire to do the will of God as much or more so as a hungry man desires food was the great missionary, Dr. Stanley Livingston once said, I'd rather be in the heart of Africa in the will of God than on the throne of England out of the will of God. And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish to complete his work. Do you know that God has plans and purposes for your life that God wants you to finish to complete in this life? That needs to be our food. That needs to be the thing that drives us. As Jesus lived, he fulfilled the will of God. And before he died, he finished, he completed all that God had sent him to do. I'd like that to be said of me. I'd like that to be said of you at the end of life. You completed everything. You finished everything God sent you here to do. He said in John 17, 4, Jesus said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. We too are to be fed on the word of God. As we do, we find the will of God, and it is then that we will finish the work of God. There is one work we've all been called to work together in, and that is the harvest of souls for the kingdom. Second, the fields that should motivate us Jesus goes on to say in verse 35 there in in John four, he said do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, they are already white for harvest. He would say to us, lift up your eyes, look for the fields in Mason City, they are ripe for harvest. Now normally it took four months from the time of the end of sowing to the beginning of reaping, but Jesus says the harvest, it is always now. We don't need to wait four months from now. He says the harvest is ready, it is ripe, it needs to be picked. There's a story about a farmer who had an old grandfather clock that used to chime on the hour, and one morning the clock malfunctioned and it struck 17 times. The farmer jumped up, grabbed his wife, shook her, and said, Honey, get up. It's later than it's ever been. <laughs> and that's what Jesus is saying here to us. It's later than it's ever been when it comes to the harvest. The fields are white, and if the harvest is not gathered, the fruit will spoil. You see, there was a problem. The problem was not the ripeness of the fields. It was the blindness, it was the unwillingness of the farmers. That's why Jesus says lift up your eyes, look. Look at the fields. I heard about a salesman as you called a salesman together to try to encourage them to have a greater vision, a bigger vision for their company. He had a big white poster board set up in the conference room and in the middle of that poster board he had drawn a black circle about the size of a quarter. And he went around the room and he asked each of his salesmen to come and to tell him what they saw on that poster. Well, the first one said, I see a black dot. Second one said, I see a black dot. The third one said, I see a black dot. All 35 salesmen in that room said the same thing. I see a black dot. Sales manager looked at them for a moment and said, isn't it strange that all of you saw the black dot but none of you saw the white all around it. School teacher, in your classroom, do you see only students or do you see fields that are ripe unto harvest? Businessmen, in, in your work, and your buildings, do you see only employees or do you see fields that are ripe unto harvest? Doctor, in your office, do you only see patients or do you see fields that are ripe unto harvest? Coach, in your gym, do you only see athletes or do you see fields that are white for harvest? Student, in your school, do you only see other classmates or do you see fields that are ripe unto harvest? If the fields were ripe then, How much more so now? Did you know that there are 10 times as many people living today who have never heard the gospel as the entire population of the world when Jesus made that statement? There are six billion people on planet Earth today and at least four billion have never had the opportunity to respond to the gospel message. Two out of every three people on this planet have never been presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ now think about this, if only 25% of the population responded, that would be one billion people, four times the population of the United States. Dr. James McConkney told of a Scottish botanist who was out in the field studying a very little plant, a very small plant called a heatherbell. This botanist was down on his knees and he had a magnifying glass and he was studying this one little intricate flower. He looked at that one delicate little flower for over two hours. There was a shepherd nearby and he was kind of amused as he saw this grown man down on his knees looking at this flower with a magnifying glass for hours. Finally, He walked over and the botanist looked up and saw the shepherd standing there with a very kind of smirk on his face. And the botanist says, come over here. The shepherd walked over and got down on his knees and the botanist gave him the magnifying glass and he said, look at this. The old shepherd looked and he saw the exquisite, breathtaking beauty of that one little heather bell. He stood to his feet with tears coming down his cheeks and he said, oh to think how many of those I have trampled under my feet and I never even knew they were there. I wonder how much of the harvest you and I have just walked around or walked over completely unaware that they were even there. Third, the fruit that should stimulate us. Why should we be a part of the harvest? Well, Jesus answers that question in verse 36. And he said, and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. The word fruit there refers to grain that would have been brought into the barn or fruit that would have been picked from the trees. In the Old Testament, it was called sheaves. Remember that song, Bringing in the Sheaves? Jesus said this fruit is for eternal life. Every time you share the gospel, every time someone responds to the gospel message, you have put fruit into God's eternal storehouse. Now this fruit is imperishable in that it cannot be spoiled by time. This fruit is incorruptible, it cannot be destroyed. This fruit lasts forever. Now we are not to do what we do for the reward, we are to do what we do because we love Jesus and we want to see people come to him. We want to see hearts changed, lives changed, and he rewards us and God pays top wages. Heard about a man that was asked to work on a Sunday and he said, oh no, I cannot work on Sunday. I have to go to my church and work there on Sunday. His boss was kind of a smart aleck and said to him, well, what do they pay you down there? And he said, oh, the pay isn't very good, but he said the retirement plan is out of this world. (laughs) Now I want to ask you a question. Do you believe what Jesus said here about being a part of the harvest? Do you believe there is a place and a role for you in the harvest? Do you believe that when you sow or when you reap that you gather fruit for eternal life? Nobody could quite say it like uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, and he once said this, if someone were to offer you $1,000 for every person you reached for Jesus Christ, would you make more of an effort than you do now when the reward is an eternal crown? Ouch. Notice one other thing. Jesus said, whether you sow or whether you reap, you get a reward. Verse 37 through 38, he said, for in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. You may not always see the harvest. Some of you, you have been sowing seeds into people's lives for years. And you're not seeing any result. You know what, it may be that somebody else will reap that particular harvest. Somebody else will plant a seed and it will be the final piece It'll be maybe the final evidence that they needed to hear and that person will come to faith in Christ. It doesn't diminish anything that you've done sowing into that life. So there are some lies, we're gonna go preach the gospel, and we're gonna do a horrible job in the presentation of the gospel, and that person, they're just gonna come to Jesus, and you're just gonna be amazed by that. And it it probably had more to do with the seeds that were being sowed previously. You just happened to be the one final witness that got to reap that. And again, you can draw two lessons from that, and that is no witness is ever wasted, and no worker is ever worthless. One of the great, this is a story that's gonna kind of go on here, so hang with me, because it does have a good point at the end. One of the great Baptist preachers in England was a man named Francis Dixon. Francis Dixon had a young man in his church whose name was Peter. And one day, Dr. Dixon had asked Peter to stand and to give his testimony of how he became a Christian. So Peter got up and in front of the church he talked about you know that he was in the royal navy uh, stationed in Sydney Australia and he said I was walking down George Street one day when out of nowhere came a little old white-haired man and he said excuse me sir I would like to ask you a question I hope it won't offend you but tell me if you were to die today where would you spend eternity the Bible says it will either be in hell or in heaven one of the two think about it, would you please, that's all sir, God bless you, Tootaloo. Peter said I had never had anybody ever ask me that question before and so it burdened me. So much so that when I got back to England, the first thing I did was to seek out a pastor and I gave my heart to Christ. Not long after that, Dr. Dixon had what we would call here in America a revival meeting, and he had half a dozen so people on the revival team, and there was one young man in particular whose name was Noah, and, or Noel, and Noel was asked to give his testimony, and here's what he said. Here's the way I came to Christ. He said, I was in the Royal Navy stationed in Sydney, Australia. I was walking down George Street in Sydney one day when out of nowhere came a little old white-haired man and he said this to me. Excuse me, sir, but I would like to ask you a question. I hope it won't offend you, but tell me, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? The Bible says it will either be in heaven or in hell. Think about it, would you please? That's all, God bless you, toodaloo. He said, I was so burdened by that that I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ. At the end of the meeting, Peter came to him and said, "Noel, you shared my exact testimony. And not long after this, Dr. Dixon went on a world speaking tour in Australia, and he was so moved by this testimony that in a Baptist church, um, he told the same story about these two men. While he was speaking, a man stood up, waved his hand. Dr. Dixon called on him and said, yes sir, what is it? And he said, sir, I am another convert. I was walking down George Street in Sydney, Australia, when out of nowhere came this little white-haired old man and he asked me those questions and that was how I eventually came to Christ. So Dr. Dixon is going all across Australia And he is sharing this story over and over. And in one particular place, there was a deacon who came up to him and said, Dr. Dixon, I am another one of those converts. I was walking down George Street in Sydney, Australia. The same thing happened to me. A lady who overhears their conversation said, excuse me, but I am also a convert. I was walking down George Street in Sydney, Australia, when out of nowhere came this little old white haired man. Well, not long after that, Dr. Dixon was asked to speak at uh, Keswick, which is a tremendous Bible conference in the northern part of England. He's sharing this incredible story, and when it was over, a man came up to him and said, sir, I am another convert. I was walking down George Street in Sydney, Australia, when out of nowhere came this little old man. Dr. Dixon later was on another world tour, and this time preaching to India Indian missionaries. And they said, would you talk to us about personal evangelism? So he tells them the story about this little old white-haired man in Sydney, Australia. When the service was over, a female missionary came up to him and said, Dr. Dixon, I am another convert. I was walking down George Street in Sydney, Australia, when a little old white-haired man came up to me. Later, Dr. Dixon was in Jamaica and shared this story, and another man comes up to him and said, I am another one of that man's converts. Dr. Dixon decided to make one more trip to Australia and he said, I have got to meet this little old man. So he went to Sydney and he asked a Christian friend he knew there, he said, do you know a little old man who used to stand out on George Street and ask people this question, if you were to die today, where would you be in eternity? His friend said, oh yeah, sure, that's Mr. Jenner. All of us know him. He's pretty old now and he doesn't get out on the streets any longer because he really can't see that well. Dr. Dixon said, could you take me to this man? I really want to meet this man. The man said, absolutely. So they went to the house of this little old man. And Francis Dixon walked in, introduced himself, and told that little man of all of these people, all of the world who had come to Christ because of his very simple witness. That dear little old man broke down and wept. And he said, sir, this is the first Time in my life, I've ever known of anybody coming to Christ through my witness. He was a sower, and his message was so simple. I know a lot of you are familiar with Phil Robertson of Duck Dynasty fame. I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago that he had the opportunity to meet with the Republican nominee Donald Trump, and in the course of their meeting, he said, Phil Robertson shared uh, the gospel with Donald Trump using five very, symbol, very simple symbols. You see those up on the screen. I've also got them uh, there in your handout. Robertson said Trump was very, very attentive. And he said, after the session, he asked Phil Robertson, can I, can I take those symbols that you drew there? Again, my point is, is that so many times we, sh- we fail to share the gospel with others because we think it has to be a very polished and a very detailed approach. The truth is, things like this can be so effective, it's so simple to do and it makes it easier for us to share the gospel and for people to understand. I'm gonna close with a story about a man who went to Africa as a shoe salesman. He'd been over there only a few days and he wrote back to his employer and he said, bring me home. You've made a horrible mistake. These people over here, they don't wear shoes. So they brought him home. Not long after that, a man came and he applied for that very job at that same company. And he was told, the only place we have to send you is Africa. And that man said, I'll go. They sent him over to the same place where the other salesman had been. After a few days, he wrote back and he said, send me all the shoes you can get. I've never seen so many prospects in all my life. Folks, there are prospects everywhere. The fields are white for harvest. May God send us all as laborers who love the harvest. May God send us as those who hunger, who thirst to do the will of God, to finish the work that he has sent us to do. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Father, that is our prayer. That God, as we talk about again, changing and shifting hearts in here this morning, God, I pray, Lord, that you would shift our hearts in such a way that we would have a desire, an appetite to lift up our eyes, to look on the, the fields of Mason City, of Clear Lake, of North Iowa, of Southern Minnesota. And God, as we look across this land, God, that we would see fields that are white unto harvest, that are ready, they're waiting And so, God, I pray, Lord, that you would again just instill in us a desire, a hunger to share you with those who don't know you. Father, let it be our food. Let it be that which sustains us. And, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just again instill in each of us a desire to do your will, God, that our eyes would be focused in such a way that when we come to the end of this life, we would be able to say as Jesus said, I have finished the work you sent me to do. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just give vision to every person in this room, God. What is the work that you have sent them here to do? God, I pray, Lord, that that there would be such clarity around that question and, Father, I pray that you would then give them, God, again, boldness. That, God, you would just give them, again, just that, that desire, that insatiable appetite, that desire, Lord, to be diligent, to be faithful to what you're calling them to do. So, Father, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the many, many churches in this area. And God, I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to equip us that you would continue to call us, to draw us out into that labor, out into that harvesting field. And that, God, we would begin to just share the love, the message of God with anyone and everyone we come in contact with. God, this morning, again, we just declared that we are no longer slaves to fear. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just deliver us from that fear that many of us feel when it comes to sharing. That God, we feel embarrassed or we feel inadequate. We fear rejection. We fear that maybe they might ask us a question that we don't have an answer to. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just deliver us from that fear. That God, you would just give us faith and boldness and courage to just share that message with love, with conviction. And we just thank you again, Father, for the harvest field here in Mason City. God, help us to lift up our eyes, to look and to see. In Jesus' name we pray.